Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we are discussing the second season premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Broken Circle. I feel like we're caught in a time loop. <laughs> Things are repeating themselves. The number three keeps coming up. <laughs> I'm going to start this episode the way it ended the last one and say, I don't understand the title of this episode. <laughs> for context, for our listeners, I stuffed up this morning. I did not record Annika's half of the conversation. And so we are here on Saturday night instead of Saturday morning. I've swapped my morning cup of tea for a glass of wine. And we're just going to have that conversation again. And yeah, I feel like the title, The Broken Circle, was a bit obscure. I think it was the name of the group that's starting the war, but I'm not sure. It was a very fleeting mention. <laughs> that's a better explanation than my explanation, which was that it was the broken saucer section of the ship. <laughs> mm. Okay, yes, I remember how we started this morning. I was saying that unexpectedly I really enjoyed this episode I would give it a solid B plus and I was surprised that it seemed so unpopular with fandom I still maintain that it's not as unpopular as it appears to be because social media promotes negativity yes and critique mm. over any positivity or exuberance mm -hmm. and a solid B plus is, is a good rating. And I don't think there's anyone who like loves this episode so much that they're going to jump into that person's mentions and be like, no, this is the best episode of Star Trek ever. Uh, I did because see one it, guy. It's not. But again, the algorithm is here to make us angry. I think that it's a perfectly fine episode. It's, a, I think, a good opener mm. for a, the new season. I think it is very confidently portrayed it gives moments to almost all of the cast and it starts what I assume is going to be the arc of the season, the mm. war. Yes. Or depictions of both the war in the past, the potential war in the present. Yes. And so I think it was solid and maybe that's not enough to get super enthusiastic and people were like, insanely enthusiastic about Star Trek Picard so mm. maybe the audience is coming off that high and this isn't what they want but I was pleasantly surprised as someone who found all of Strange New World season one sort of it's fine yeah yeah I would call season one a b minus or c plus overall so this was a really promising beginning. I absolutely have problems. I've talked about them at length already today and I'll do so again this evening. But as you say, it was confident, it balanced most of the cast really well and it's a story that I have wanted since season two of Discovery in terms of the aftermath of the war and the people who are having trouble moving on from that. Whether... Right through a profit motive because the bad guy was capitalism all along or through trauma as in M Mbenga. So also 
we like Discovery season one. Mm. It's my one of my, you know, top new Star Trek seasons overall. And I hate Discovery season two, yep. which completely ignores <laughs> this Discovery season one happens <laughs> and brings in other people. So I think maybe we are also the audience for this. Maybe yes. other people want to move on from the trauma. They don't want to talk about the war. They didn't really like that all of that was going on. Mm. They like to forget that Pike and Spock were introduced on Discovery because they're angry at Discovery for reasons unknown. So Star Trek is continuing. It's ongoing. Make stuff just for Annika mm. <laughs> a campaign. And as Annika, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's nice to feel catered to. And I definitely felt catered to in terms of a post-war story, um, a Benga story, multiple scenes with Admiral April, whom obviously I love. And Pike is in one scene and then leaves. And I really think that should be the format for the rest of the series. Pike shows up, says, you're in charge this week. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then takes off. Yes. I feel like next week's episode will make a case for Una being part of the series. I'm yet to be convinced that we need Pike. <laughs> you know, I was really tired of the Pike show mm. for, for season one. I didn't need every episode to be about Pike's pre-traumatic stress. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm into everyone else getting to have post-traumatic stress as well. It's not the trauma narrative that I'm against. <laughs> it's the focus on one person and the way that his was portrayed in such an ableist light. I think that's it exactly. Whereas we learn that Chapel and Mabenga served together during the war, which is completely new information. I love it. I, I want to know everything about it. And along the way, they seem to have concocted a super soldier serum. And we also get confirmation that Ortega served in the war and she continues to be a one note character. And that note is very annoying, but it makes me hope that this is setting her up to have a potentially interesting story. We can only hope. <laughs> I mean, I don't really hold out much hope because we had Pelia <laughs> for two scenes and we know more about her than Ortegas. And I'm okay with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ortegas is never going to be my favourite character, but she has as much attention in terms of screen time, backstory and characterization as Mitchell. Yes. Who is not a regular. Yes. So why is Ortega a regular if you're not going to make her more than quippy and sort of inexplicably cool about the war? Yeah. <laughs> like nostalgic for the war? I had the absolute brainwave when we were talking this morning, lost to posterity, that Ortegas is in the wrong series and she should have been the helmsman in season one of Discovery. Because I feel like she and Lorca would have gotten on really well. I don't know if that reflects well on her. I think it would be so much more interesting for her to have that. Like, if we're going to have a little bit of a grey dark side, mm. I want to I see it. Yes. If, if you're just going to sort of nod at it with these weird... Like, okay, so in her one character building moment in this episode, and I say that, you know, 
it's a very wide <laughs> definition of character yeah. building. You're being very generous. But she does have that one moment where she mentions that she has flown around and hidden from mm -hmm. Klingons enough to know exactly what they look for and, and be confident that she is well hidden. And when she says that, she says it in the same tone and there is the same lighting as from the final episode of last season where she was like, straight up, let's go kill some Romulans. Right, right. And it was interesting in terms of character continuity because that episode didn't actually happen. And so her, you know, it's like maybe that 10 year later Ortegas mm. was part of this Gorn War and, you know, had a reason to hate Romulans or or whatever. But no, it was showing that she is that character, that she is willing to fight first yeah. and strike first and not worry about the consequences or the casualties. But again, like, even though this was a battle, she wasn't alienist in this episode. No, no. But it had the same, like I said, the same trappings. And so yeah. that was interesting to me. I it just like noted it and put a little, you know, pin in it for later, because again, not actually any character building. <laughs> she flew good. That's, she flew good. That's it. I like the idea of Ortega's on Discovery in that season, because I think it would have been really interesting to have a character who was very much a Lorca partisan prior to the reveal. Everyone else was sort of wary of him or actively hostile in the case of Kolber and Stamets. And I think that source of conflict would have been equally, if not more, interesting than Detmar and Michael, Detmar having known Michael before her mutiny. And I also think Detmar would fit in really well on the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds. So let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's switch just, them. Yeah. Yeah. Switch. Let's talk about some characters that this episode serves well. You have this wonderful list of things about Spock in this episode, and I read it and went, oh, Spock is in this too. But I actually okay. think that he is really well served by this story. This is a, another dig at the algorithm mm. that all I get... <laughs> is a bunch of people who I don't follow and who don't follow me or like anyone I know, but I get their comments and they're all capital B, capital S, capital T, bad Spock takes. <laughs> the TLDR of which is, did they watch the episode? Mm. Because if they watched the episode, all of the problems they have with Spock's characterization is explicitly described mm. in the episode, like textually. People say things yeah, yeah, that explain why his emotions are a little out of control, why he is struggling. Yes. And even why he is not fully confident in command, mm. which also, he's a lieutenant. TOS has a whole episode about how Spock is inexperienced as a commander. But <laughs> so... it is okay for him to be not great at this. I thought he did a very good job. But that's, you know, you're doing great, sweetie. He did a great job. Mm. And he shouldn't be confident. <laughs> He's not at the level of being confident. This is a young Spock. Mm. He is basically going through Vulcan puberty. 
Mm. He doesn't reach sexual maturity until second season of TOS. Mm-hmm. And he is allowed to be struggling and finding himself and working through all his adolescent angst. Yeah. And the fact that he's actually an adult is what makes it really compelling for me. Yes. The algorithm is giving me a lot of Kirk Spock shippers who are very, very angry about the whole Christine Chapel relationship. Not because they don't ship it or they resent the very real heterosexual agenda that seems to drive this show, but basically, ooh, he's talking to a person with a vagina. That's gross. You and I have discussed how we don't ship Kirk Spock. It's not our jam. (laughs) Sorry. No, look. No, that was a sorry to to others. Yeah. Like, if if you came here for the takes that Christine Chapel and Spock having a relationship gets in the way of Kirk Mm. and Spock because Kirk and Spock are Omega soulmates or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) who, who always need to be together and Spock would never with a woman, Mm. you're not going to get that here. Right. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. I just think we can criticize the heteronormativity without getting into misogyny and biphobia. Right. I really love the Spock and Chapel relationship. Mm. I love it as a romance because I think it's super cute for Spock to have a crush, for him to be working through these emotions. I think it adds so much depth and context to their later relationship. I think it makes Christine, like, <laughs> the existence of Jess Bush as Christine Chapel <laughs> makes Christine Chapel better. Yes. Every single thing that happens. But in terms of Spock and Chapel, which is something that made me angry mm. <laughs> a pre-Strange New Worlds, and now I am fully on board with their relationship continuing until death. Mm. <laughs> because I think that whatever it ends up being, it's so poignant and beautiful. And that doesn't get in the way of Kirk and Spock, who are still allowed to also have a poignant and beautiful relationship. And when I say I don't ship Kirk and Spock, that doesn't mean I don't care about their relationship. I care about their relationship very much. I just think that for me, it is more compelling when it is not predicated on sexuality and romance. So I love everything that happens with Spock and Chapel. Again, this is made for me. I made a fan vid of Spock and Chapel (laughs) in between the two seasons. I am already working on a new one because look at all this footage. So... It's for me, and it's beautiful, and I love it. Yes, there is a heterosexual agenda. I hope that the heteronormativity of season one and the teaser trailers is subverted mm. in season two. I There are small things in this episode that at least nod to relationships outside of heteronormativity and gender, but... I don't think that their relation gets in the way. If you want Kirk and Spock to be sexual and romantic, him having a relationship with Christine now Mm. doesn't get in the way of that either. Right. It's just such a narrow idea of personalities and relationships. And I think that's really sad and inherently biphobic, which I resent, you know. 
I realised talking to you this morning that Christine is probably Spock's this is his first crush. This is his first experience with that level of infatuation. So, of course, he doesn't really know how to handle it, how to deal with it. And I really enjoy seeing that. And on that note, mm. why would you want Jim Kirk? If you were a hardcore Jim Spock shipper, mm. why would you want Jim Kirk to be the, his first crush? Why would you want it to be his first relationship? Your first relationship is not going to be the lasting one like 90 percent of the time (laughs) the person you are crushing on in middle school is Mm -hmm. not who you marry it's weird to me that you want like the whole idea of there being one person (laughs) right in the whole of the universe that you have a relationship with and they're the only one that matters ever and any other relationship is necessarily negative inferior inferior Mm. i don't think that's the way the world works i don't think that's the way people work no and i don't think that's the way that fiction should work no because not at all i want it i want there to be a a whole mosaic of people Mm. that make up your your love yeah and spock is going to live so long and he knows that he's going to outlive most of his human friends. He basically says as much to Pelia at the end. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Why would you limit his capacity for love in this way? Why would you limit anyone's capacity to love, but especially Spock, mm-hmm. who I have said again and again that Spock's, like, his main emotion is compassion. Yeah. That he is all heart. <laughs> People like think that because he's a Vulcan and he hides his emotions that he is the intellectual person. Mm. And I I don't think that that is a good read of Spock. I think that he is a much more, that he has all Mm. of the emotions Mm. and he hits, you know, he's intellectual and he's emotional. And that's what makes him such a rich character that we have all loved for over 50 years. Right. His whole arc from TOS through the movies was learning to be a fully balanced person who acknowledges and honours his emotions, even if he doesn't openly express them. He has found a way to walk that path. And this is Spock at the beginning of that journey. Mm -hmm. And... I definitely don't think Spock needs to be the focus of Strange New Worlds because I do think he's a character that we've returned to so many times that there aren't that many new stories we can tell with Mm -hmm. him. But I don't dislike this. In fact, I like it better now, having spoken to you about it this morning, than I did 12 hours ago, which is the power of you shipping things, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, okay. Glad to be there for you. <laughs> Here is where I admit that Chris Pine's version of Jim Kirk is what made me a fan of Kirk. Mm. That he, I was a neutral. Yeah, I didn't yeah. care either way towards him in the original series. But I love him <laughs> in the Kelvin Burst films. And I wasn't neutral towards Spock but he wasn't my character. He was someone who belonged to everybody else and, I, and they all loved him and it was great. Mm. And I 
appreciated Leonard Nimoy's performance to a, you know, a, a great deal. But Ethan Peck, <laughs> Ethan Peck's Spock is my Spock. I love this. That's my character. He's made for me in the exact same way that Chris Pine's Kirk is my Kirk. Mm. It brings me so much joy mm. because I want to have a Spock. I want to fit into the wider Star Trek fandom universe <laughs> of of loving Spock and having that being one of your top tier Trek characters. Mm. And that's what Strange New Worlds has given me. So I agree with you that we don't need more Spock, but also I love him and I am very grateful for him. No, this is an oh boy, two cakes scenario. (laughs) I have to admit that I've been re-watching TOS and have fallen, I have not fallen in love with Shatner's Kirk, but I have come to like him very much and also Nimoy's Spock. And I think there is something something about the performances which is impossible to replicate. And I don't know if it's simply that these were stage actors who were trained in the 40s and 50s or them as individuals who low-key hated each other, but I would be very, very shocked if Strange New Worlds can reproduce the Kirk-Spock dynamic. Which is perhaps also why people are so up in arms Mm. about Spock having other relationships that might interfere with it. No, I can see that. It shouldn't be harder to ship your OTP just because some actors aren't doing it as well now as they did 60 years ago. But I do understand that feeling that something is actually being taken away from you. Whereas Christine is a much richer character than when Mm -hmm. she was played in the 60s. My unpopular take is that I kind of want to Photoshop Jess Bush into all of Majel Barrett's roles. (laughs) We talked this morning about how their relationship can't end well because it ends up with him throwing soup at her in a mock time and you very wisely said that's not the end of their relationship because their next scene together is him apologising for that. Right. That moment It's the spider's George of their relationship. It's such an outlier that it can't define it. Right, exactly. And that's what I mean by this bringing more context Mm. to the future relationship is that now that we have this, we can look at the soup throwing scene as something that is so wildly out of character for Spock, which it is. It's portrayed that way in the episode. Like everybody agrees, including Christine. (laughs) It's wildly out of character for Spock. And... I mean, it's a beautiful scene. It's a beautifully shot scene. Like, mm. you know, the TOS is all soft lighting and <laughs> colors. And, but it's really, it's really pretty where he is deep into Ponfar and unable to express the depth of his feelings, similar to mm. now in Strange New Worlds. But having a need to tell her that it wasn't her and that he didn't mean it mm. and please don't let this color our relationship because that is something I would never want. Yes. And that is really beautiful. Mm. And that, that should define the relationship. (laughs) And then because she doesn't really have a presence Mm. in the future of everything, there's nothing to say that they weren't best friends off screen 
And, right. you know, he, he wasn't always checking in with her mm. on missions. They, they didn't have like little coffee dates while they were both on earth, mm. it, you know, circa Wrath of Khan. Like, I can imagine their relationship being a very comfortable, long-term, whatever we are, that doesn't even need to be defined. And again, that doesn't get in the way of his relationship with Kirk. Right. That he can, he can have that for him too. If I can headcanon Spock into Preen getting married after he's died and come back and something very convenient has happened to Ston, then there is no reason that Spock cannot also have some sort of connection with Christine Chapel. And he lives, you know, he, he lives long past her death, so he can have a romantic relationship with Christine and then also have a romantic relationship <laughs> with Spring. <laughs> It's fine. It all works out for him. And I mean, also the the idea of this doomed romance is part of what I love about it. Yeah. The impossibility of their relationship. The two people who have deep feelings for each other that makes them feel badly as much as it makes them feel good. Mm. <laughs> That's the what I should. Oh, the That's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Mm. So, but also, are you really a chaotic bisexual? And I refer to both of them. If you're not hanging out with your ex for years and years to come, exactly. Like, is that not queer culture? You know, once again, I say often that you know my favorite fic prompt is everybody's stuck in one place mm. and going in and out of everyone's bedrooms, <laughs> you know, for years. Yeah. <laughs> That's a starship. So, right. so, also, when you said stuck in one place, I thought you meant psychologically, and this was going to be an amazing <laughs> segue into the Mabenga storyline. Oh, sorry. It's too early for that. Sorry, okay. sorry. Let's, you know, keep having your feelings. Can I say one thing before we get to Mabenga? Absolutely. Something that we didn't actually cover very much was La'an and yes. the La'an and Spock relationship or, you know, La'an and mm. shipmates relationship. But I really love, so La'an went off to help or Oriana find her home. And, uh, you know, April is like, well, she's not even starting Starfleet anymore. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know exactly how long she's been gone, but long enough for the Admiral to believe that she resigned yep. and isn't coming back. But, you know, Uhura says that she sent the distress signal directly to them. Mm. And when Spock hears it, his instant thought is, gotta <laughs> steal the Enterprise and go save her. Yep. So let's get on that. And they, and they do, when they all show up, all her friends show up and help her out. They jump into action to help both the refugees on the planet and to help her figure out the weird plot to bring down the Federation and restart the war. And she wasn't the protagonist of this episode, but she was the catalyst. Yes. And it was great. It was a great way to reintegrate her into the mm. crew. And I do want to know what she was doing for X amount of time 
so that we can see her growth arc as well. Yes. But I did really like the way that they brought her back in. And also, you know, I have it in my list of relatable Spock things is fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. which he is definitely doing. Yes. So his, his whole arc in this episode is fake it till you make it. And the fact is that he actually can't fake being okay about his emotions towards mm. Christine. And that's why it bothers him so much is that he can't mask and he, he doesn't know what to do about that. Relatable. But La'an has that one moment where she pulls out her thermal detonator and is also faking it. She has the whole drinking scene that's right out of Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. that is definitely faking it. She's doing that too. And so I like the sort of mini parallels between Spock and La'an and the mm. fact that she is the one to put him on this path of treason. <laughs> Light larceny, as Jack yeah. Crusher would say. Yeah. So I think that the La'an and Spock relationship and parallels is something to watch. And we do know that she's the one who's going to hang out the most with Kirk. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And also her... Genetic background is complicated as Spock's is, and she's very emotionally reserved. A lot of her arc in season one, such as it was, was about being more in touch with her feelings. Also, they are both mentored by Una. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I'm so into this. (laughs) See, so, yeah. Yeah. Keep an eye on that, everybody. (laughs) Also, I think we decided last year that because she lost her little brother and he lost his big sister, she is his new That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, besties. Now we can talk about Mbenga. Okay. I'm so excited that he has an arc. I I know. I'm so keen for more scenes with him and Christine and for Christine to have material that's not related to her romantic connections not that I don't ship Christine and Mabenga but (laughs) that is something that I'll read on AO3 not that I expect to happen on screen their embrace when they're Mm. gonna go out into Mm. the airlock if Mm. ever there was a moment for a kiss oh yeah that was it so the fact that they didn't makes me feel like maybe they're sort of my new Rafi and Rios Mm. where they could definitely have a physical relationship when they want it, but their actual friendship is heightened to yes. that. It's like more, yeah. it's, we don't need that to, we don't need to say I love you for you to know, mm. and we don't need to kiss for you it, to understand. It's sort of the end point, the ideal end point for Spock and Christine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I like that Mavenga has a past beyond having his daughter. Obviously, I love Rakia yeah. and everything with that, but this is about him. Yes. The Rukia stuff was about Rukia. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that they had to accelerate that and get her off, mm. <laughs> that took a lot away from him as a character because he the only arc he had was about someone else and then they removed that. And he hasn't really had much time to process that. Yes. On screen. Which, you know, was probably related to his to his war trauma. He was out there fighting a war instead of spending time mm. with his daughter. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know who Rukia's mom is or what that relationship is. Yeah. Or So there's a lot of heavy stuff in his mm. life. So mm. I'm thrilled that he has Christine. And, you know, they were clearly friends in season one, but 
the type of friends who keep secrets from everybody else. Yes. <laughs> That's a different level of friendship and, mm. and I'm excited to explore mm. it. Absolutely. He also super ships Bonnie Chapel and it's adorable. Like he's so on board. He is, you know, playing with both of them and teasing mm. both of them and in his expression when when you know they're they're both frozen but he's like awake yeah and he's watching the the spock drama as he brings christine back to life he just gets this little smile on his face at the end and i'm like dude you almost died <laughs> i find it really interesting that he and christine are friends and colleagues and in many ways equals if not in rank or age but he has a sort of paternal relationship with spock i like yeah that. it is it is yes and spock is collecting father figures the way michael collects mother figures <laughs> spock deserves it I wanted to point out one thing that you pointed out earlier is that not only does he find it cute and sweet that they have this interesting connection, shall we yeah. say, but I also think he likes the drama. It's oh, a little yeah. bit messy and it's oh, like, yeah. you know, since this is not my relationship, <laughs> even though I care about both of these people and I don't want them to get hurt, this is sort of fun to watch. Yes. I feel like Una is going to share that position. I actually, <laughs> they, they can... like my actual Mabenga ship is with Una because I think they have yes. really great chemistry. And obviously Pike doesn't deserve her. And I think that they can just sit on the sidelines together and watch the mess unfold. Yes. While Pike is completely oblivious that anything is happening. Right. Because his hair does most of the thinking for him. <laughs> Let's talk about the super soldier serum. Woohoo. It's just something I find really interesting because this is a type of technology that we've not seen in Star Trek before. And it's obviously familiar to us from the Marvel Universe, both comics and movies, and also from The Expanse. And it seems to be something that Joseph and Christine cooked up together and haven't informed the rest of Starfleet about. That's my favourite part. Yes. Because I really think that if Lorca knew that this existed, he would have it every morning in his smoothie. I think if April knew that this existed, they would be in jail. <laughs> so they would be in a cell next to Una. It definitely seems to skirt the line of genetic manipulation. And we know that Christine is a geneticist, so that makes sense. And who knows? It's green, so and we know that Vulcans are stronger. So I, I'm on the, and you know, she's going to go to like a Vulcan biochemistry Archaeology. conference or something. <laughs> she's going to something. Yeah. She's doing yeah. something on Vulcan for two months. And in the first episode, she, when she's like giving Spock his hypospray, she talks about how she's comfortable with Vulcan mm. physiology and, and it's weird. And and so, you know, be prepared for this to be stranger for you than others. And so I like this idea that they created the super soldier serum, that they didn't tell anybody, mm. that this is the reason that both of them were fine with mm -hmm. knowing that Una had done what Una did and yeah. they weren't going to tell anybody and they're cool about it. Like Christine even has a line in that episode, goes to Valyria, that's something along the lines of, I don't care about genetic mm. mis misdeeds, mm. you know, 
that's an interesting genetic misty, but we're not going to talk about it right now or something like that. And, and so it's fun for them to be skirting the line. I think that this is clearly something that Star Trek as a whole is thinking about because mm. the genetic stuff, the ban on genetic modification has shown up in Prodigy. It's shown up in Strange New Worlds. Mm. They discussed it in Picard. Like they're playing with these ideas the connections to Sung and Sing. Yes. <laughs> All of this is related. So it's interesting to me that this is something that, that they are teasing out across the Star Treks. And this is like, it is a gray area because it's not permanent. Yes. You know, it lasted like 20 minutes. <laughs> Maybe not even that. But it seems to be, you know, they're both medical professionals, <laughs> so they they must have looked at the side effects. But the war it wasn't that long ago, so it's the long term side effects is a question. Yeah, yeah. I there's a lot of interesting ways that this could go. I really hope that this is going to form an arc for Mabenga, and that we get to learn more about this. I just find it interesting. We don't often get brand new ideas in Star Trek. And this was sort of hinted at in the premiere of Strange New Worlds with Chapel being introduced as a geneticist. And right. I expected the serum to transform them temporarily into Klingons. And so what we got was surprising to me. Then it would be purple. No, sorry. Of course. <laughs> no, no, you're completely correct. I really enjoyed it conceptually. In practice, I felt like we wound up with the trope of an uncontrollably violent black man and a white woman who needs to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And also the war on terror nonsense about torture. And torture really works, you know? Truly. Honestly. Let's keep torturing people. We'll prove it. The Klingon who was tortured mm. and then gave up immediately. <laughs> he is the worst Klingon. Right? But... I think that a Klingon who is, you know, building a Starfleet ship yes. in a cave mm -hmm. in order to start a war is not the Kayum Klingon that we know. That right, is that is right. not the Klingon that we meet on a battle cruiser. He's a nerd. <laughs> he, and so if you're gonna torture somebody, torture the nerds because they're not ready for it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they deserve it. And I was going to say, judging by my Twitter algorithm, I agree. <laughs> but also no. don't torture people. No one deserves to be tortured and torture doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> there have been m multiple psychiatric and statistical studies that prove that torture doesn't work. So don't do that. Yeah. It worked in this case. And yes, the visuals, both the visuals of... Christine needing to be rescued, although she did end up actually punching that guy out, mm -hmm. even though like she, her serum was dying and was not rescued <laughs> by by Mbenga. But also the scene where he is torturing the Klingon and she is screaming at him to stop. That's yeah, also a sort yeah. of problematic version, although it also parallels with Uhura screaming at Spock to stop in the second Kelvinverse movie, mm. which is interesting because you don't like when they parallel Christine and Uhura, but I do. I understand your reasons and the visuals can be problematic in both cases, yeah. both with Mbenga and then also with the fact that 
replacing the black woman with the white woman is right, not good. Right. <laughs> but I like cross universe pollination. Yeah. yeah. Thematically, it's interesting, just the optics are bad. Right, yeah. exactly. That's how I feel about the whole super soldier serum, too. And I really hope, maybe over-optimistically, that we add a bit more nuance to it in the future. But also, the actor who plays Mabenga is, I think he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something. So obviously, you want to show that off. And I think Jess Bush's performance as the serum wore off and she went from being a superhero to kind of flailing around was really effective. I think that was great work. Also... I do agree with the people who said that this should have gotten a seizure warning. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, Paramount Plus doesn't believe in warnings, so they didn't get that. But the aesthetic of that scene, the the way that it was done with the strobe lights and the different camera angles, it was really beautiful Mm. in terms of how it was shot. So that you really felt like you were a part of the scene, that it was happening to you. And was like both slowed down and then fast. And it was just, it was very, I liked the directing and music and and the lighting choices made in those scenes. This morning you said it was like being inside a PTSD flashback. Yes. And I I think that was really insightful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for remembering what I was saying. Because I certainly didn't record it. I mean, no, but that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And because we know now that Mbenga is suffering from mm. PTSD. So having the visuals of those flashbacks, bookending the scene where he is out of control in, yeah, with his anger, yeah. that's perfect. Yes. Because that is a an absolute representation of what happens when you are suffering from post-traumatic mm. stress. That... You are triggered, and then you can't control your emotions, Yep. and then you you try to pull back and you're triggered again. And it was just a really good representation of what Mbenga might be feeling. Yeah. And so, that, again, that puts us into his mindset, which tempers some of how he is out of control. Also, it's clear that Christine understands that Mm. because she clocks it before they even take the serum she she sees that he is going down a path Mm. and you know she walks across the Klingon hospital and is like are you okay you know is this okay with you and he's like yep by the way (laughs) still got this and you know she she says do you, do you just carry that with you always and he yeah. says yes and it's like ooh trigger <laughs> red flag red flag yeah 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 <laughs> something's really wrong with him we got to work on this but also thank god because now we can go do this thing and for me a character who has this terrible darkness knowingly embracing that for the benefit of the mission or someone that they love that is like catnip to me That is my favorite thing. So obviously I have issues, but I do think that they can be resolved. And I do think they're somewhat lessened in context. Like, I think if I watch it, if I watch that scene again with what you said about the PTSD flashback, I might be less judgy. Or I might not. I am pretty judgy. (laughs) 
my instant judgment of Pelia is that I love her and I want to keep her forever. She's so, she's delightful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got screeners. I don't know how you did it, but we have screeners for the first six episodes and Paramount have very specific rules about embargoes and stuff that we can share. But I think they'll understand that I do need to share that Pelia is clearly the daughter of the 12th Doctor and River Song. <laughs> I mean. Are you suggesting that that becomes canon later on? <laughs> I don't see how it can. It's obviously, obviously the truth. It is, it is obviously the truth. She's got the ringlet curls. Mm -hmm. She's got the quirky way of describing her longevity. Mm. <clears throat> She's definitely a delightful character. I love the idea of going back in Star Trek canon and being like, where is Pelia in this, <laughs> yes. in this scene? Yes. Where is she in Future's End? Where is, where is she in Little Green Men? Let's find oh Pelia. Gosh. Where is she in Garvin Creek? There's a Twitter account that goes, every day I Photoshop Paddington into another movie until I forget. I think we should start every day I shot Pelia into a time travel episode of Star Trek until I forget. Yes, mm. because that's where she belongs. And it, it's it's just delightful to think about Pelia living through everything that we know as Star Trek fans. Yes. And also, it's weirdly exciting to me that she is actually old. Carol Kane is like 70 and she sounds like an old lady. Like, I didn't realise how shocking I would find that until it actually happened. And I think it's wonderful. I'm, af I'm actually afraid they're going to kill her. I'm afraid they're going to kill the chief engineer every season until we get no. Scotty. And they just keep teasing Scotty with a vocal. Yeah. Oh, no. I hate this idea. I'm sorry. I'm that so is, sorry. That is terrible. And like every chief engineer will be somehow marginalized, but then they'll die. No, no. Okay. Anyway, so that's a terrible, let's, let's just sorry. set that aside. Yeah. I like Pelia as sort of a reverse Kess. Oh. And I think that the fact that she is age appropriate to the idea of the character is so mm. much better <laughs> than, than how they, they didn't know how to do a too young character who is also too old like, like mm. a rapidly aging character the slow aging character is obviously easier to do because we can photoshop Pelia into all of star trek but it's fun to think of like we are playing with these different races that have a, a wildly different timeline than mm. human important question do we ship Pelia with gynam i ship Pelia with amanda grayson <laughs> i mean obviously but <laughs> She and Guinan definitely hook up every couple of centuries. So I'm going to find pictures of a younger Carol Yes. And stick her into Star Trek Picard season two. Yes. That's going to happen now. I'm into it. She can also know Talon because Talon needs better yes. friends. Oh so, uh, <laughs> so badly. This is getting out of hand and awesome. Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, so in regards to Amanda Grayson, mm -hmm. I love that someone finally brings up Spock's mom on the bridge. Yes. <laughs> and, and he was like, wait, wait, what? 
And the fact that in their final conversation at the end of the episode, she says that Amanda was one of the first that she came out to. Hmm. I was like, that's not even subtext. That's just, they were a thing pre-Sarah. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm assuming it's like grad school Amanda. And I like it. And I like the idea that we have this whole race of aliens who have lived among humans. And I think put a pin in that for next week. Because that might be a theme. And also the idea that Amanda collects aliens. Oh. <laughs> that, that Amanda Grayson is is like, you know, there's not that much time in between mm. Enterprise and Amanda. And the idea that she is the human who is super excited about finding all of the different alien races yeah. and learning all the languages. And it's like, you know, again, it's all in my head, but... Pelia being Amanda's friend and feeling comfortable enough with Amanda to tell her that she was this long-lived immortal alien mm. creature means that Amanda like it it strengthens Amanda's character like yeah she's yeah. not even in this episode <laughs> we, she's probably not even in this season and yet we get more of that story and that it's and it's not related to Spock and it's not related to Sarek yes. and that's exciting yes so I think our final notes are on fashion and I thought the costume design this week was amazing and light years ahead of season one incredible the away teams mm. infiltrating the Klingon planet amazing <laughs> everything they wore on the planet everything every one of them wore mm. was incredible i particularly liked uhura's miniskirt celia gooding said that 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 miniskirt was like the best costume that they've ever had and i was like yes i agree <laughs> it, it's so good i love that it was a miniskirt i loved chaffel's armor yeah <laughs> over over mesh vines i was like that is what I want to cosplay. I loved the way that her hair was off kilter. Yes. Like that whole look was amazing. Uh, Laan and her hood stolen from Emperor Georgia. So amazing. It was such a huge step up from the weird urban outfitters <laughs> clothes they were wearing mm -hmm. in the first season. I love Christine Chapel so much and all of her civilian clothes in the first season were so sad. So sad. <laughs> I was like, this is not what I want on my girl. So this was beautiful and amazing and I loved it. Do you have any feelings to express about the Four Nichelle dedication? Okay, so I went to see the first two episodes in New York mm -hmm. City, Paramount Plus did a little premiere for fans. It was an, an incredible experience. They took over the whole floor of, of that movie theater and put up giant, the colorful posters of all of them, but they were like in motion. Wow. So the like warp effect that's on the poster was moving and, and then it would blink and it would go to the next one. And so that was really cool. And it really got you excited to watch the episodes before they even happened. They did, you know, photo ops and you know, I got a, a cool bag that is in the trans flag colors, which I 
decided was on purpose <laughs> because I'm me. And it is Pride Month. So the screen that that we all got our picture taken with was the bisexual flag oh. colors. And then the tote bag was the trans flag colors. And so I was like, they're leaning into it. And I will say that Star Trek.com had commissioned art of all of the queer characters from Kelvinverse on and really from the third, like Star Trek yeah. Beyond through present. And it was exciting that there was an, enough of them to make that poster. And while it was like 50% discovery, they did include people from all of the shows. So it's like, at least all of the shows have at least one yes. person. So that's, that's good. And Strange New Worlds was in fact, Christine Chapel, And I appreciated that as someone who absolutely, they have a line where it says mm. that she was on a date with a woman. And I've had way too many conversations with, again, people that I don't follow, who don't follow mm. me or anyone I know, but find it necessary to pop into my life and tell me that I was wrong and that that line meant that Christine went on a girl date with her bestie. Yeah, that is not really a thing. Yikes. Yeah. And so I appreciate that the official account mm. made it blatantly obvious that Christine Chapel is in fact yes. queer. Now put it on screen. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's step two. Paramount, yeah. but at least we're, we're there. So at this event, they showed the first two episodes and they did not break them up. So it was like, it was like a movie. It, the end of this episode went immediately into the mm. next episode. And so the four Nichelle slide came at the end of the second episode and no spoilers, but the second episode includes themes that make the four Nichelle slide more poignant. Yeah. And the entire like last 20 minutes of the second episode I was fighting I was fighting tears I was like I'm gonna make it it's gonna be okay I'm not gonna cry and then before Nichelle came on and I was like oh no <laughs> and then the she was the first out the door <laughs> that was too much I started sobbing the entire theater started sobbing we were all already you know applauding because it was like this amazing moment where I felt connected to everyone in the theater and everyone in Star Trek fandom of this amazing person who Nichelle Nichols is. Not just as Uhura, who is an iconic character that she created. Yeah. Like she was a background character who became super important because of Nichelle Nichols. But Nichelle Nichols as a person, mm. you know, she she worked for NASA in recruiting people to go into yeah. space and specifically black people and black women and Mae Jameson, the first black woman in space. That impact, the impact that Nichelle Nichols had on society, yeah. not even just Star Trek, mm. was being promoted by that slide and especially after the second mm. episode. Mm. So I I almost wish that they saved it <laughs> for for everybody mm. because I, it was so powerful. And I love the detail first through the door because we talk about, you know, women who make it through the glass ceiling and then pull the ladder up behind them. And Nichelle absolutely didn't do that. She was an icon in her time and then she made space. 
she invited other women and other black people to join her. And that was extraordinary. And in so many fields, as you say, she worked for NASA. She worked as an actress very late into her life. And a singer, a a dancer. yes, Yes, across the entertainment industry and across the civil rights movement. She was an extraordinary person. And I think Star Trek was so lucky to have her. So on a lighter note, Annika, where is Katrina Cornwell right now? (laughs) So when I say (laughs) I wish that other admiral whose name I have not learned because I don't Mm. care because I want him to be Katrina Cornwell was Katrina Cornwell. Wow, do I mean it. No, I completely understand. I want Katrina Cornwell, who we've already seen struggle with the war mm. in Discovery season one and two. Yeah, I'd say not, two. Like, it's not kind of season, kind of in season two. She she is the, the one who talked Pike mm. down from his, I don't know, annoyance that he missed it. Like, whatever. <laughs> anyway, that season's bad. So I am always sad and distraught that we had this amazing admiral who was getting characterization and they took her away Mm -hmm. i love robert april is amazing i love him i love everything about him he's another dadmiral but he's also like sexy dadmiral not that not that vance isn't but (laughs) but robert april is on another Mm -hmm. level and I feel badly for him. You know, he was an Enterprise captain mm. and is now stuck being an admiral. So, you know, that they all hate that. They don't get enough enrichment in their enclosures. <laughs> and he just went through a war that was terrible on everybody. And, you know, I'm not excited for the Gorn War because justice for the Gorn babies. <laughs> That's where I'm stuck. I'm stuck at Justice for the Gorn Babies. And until I get that justice, mm. like, I can't be angry at the Gorn mamas for for attacking us if we don't care about their yeah. babies. Like, just straight up murdering if them. If you're not Ellen Ripley, you don't get to be mad at the xenomorphs. But it will be interesting to see what happens mm. to April and to the Admiralty in general. Yes for all of this. So I'm excited for that. And I wish that Katrina was a part of it. So she is a force ghost (laughs) watching all of this unfold with her popcorn. Lucky her. I think (laughs) that she and Ash Tyler are infiltrating Kronos to find out if this whole restart the war thing was something that Laurel was aware of or if she was being duped as much as Starfleet would have been. I think she too is looking very cute in Jojo's cape and they're having a great time doing spy <laughs> stuff. The duo we deserve. Yes. I guess we've gone a bit long now, but I do want to say that I ship La'an with Ash Tyler and I will discuss that in more detail in the future. But basically she's very short and he's very tall and that alone makes it worthwhile. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com including links to our social media, credits for our theme music and sometimes transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram 
all at antimatterpod and on mastodon at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the next episode of Strange New Worlds Season 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera. I did it this time. It only took two hours of, you know, practice to say the Latin.